Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. Well, good morning. Uh, as you heard, I'm from Chula Vista, not too far from you guys. I live about 10 miles from the border and um, pastor at a church called Horizon Christian Fellowship in the San Diego area. And um, we are blessed to have been going, gosh, we're on year, I think, 47 as a church. And I've been pastoring all 47 years. Okay, I'm just seeing if you guys are awake this morning. If I look that old, then I really have aged. Kids will do that to you, I'm told. But it is a blessing to be with you guys this morning. Um, I actually met Pastor Josh in Washington, D.C. about two years ago at a prayer rally. And uh, there was a group of guys there. We kind of walked from station to station praying and, and uh, just kind of knew right away, like, hey, this guy is like-minded and like-hearted. And, um, and uh, it was a blessing to just to get to hang out with him. And then about two weeks ago, he came down and did our men's breakfast for us. And, and then uh, he called me last night and said, is there any way you can drive up to LA? No, I'm just kidding. He gave me a little more notice than that. So it was good. But he uh, invited me up. And, and I will say this, I think it has been awesome just to watch your church kind of from a distance and seeing a lot of similarities of kind of our church in San Diego the last year and a half of how God has called us to be a church during all of this craziness. I just wanna say this before we get into the word this morning, it's been a blessing to see your pastor's heart of sensitivity to the leading of the Holy Spirit through all of these crazy things. And, and I truly believe you have a pastor who has what every pastor should have, a shepherd's heart to be sensitive to you as a congregation. See, every church is, we all are one body, right? We say that all the time. The church is one body worldwide. But we are called, I believe, as churches individually to what God has called us for, maybe our community, for how we meet, where we meet. So, for example, I, I, I had somebody who uh, attended our church for a very long time, and uh, they had left a few years ago. And uh, during the whole beginning of the pandemic, uh, they, they made a statement that uh, really upset me and saddened my heart. But their statement was, if your church does not open its doors by this date, and this was early on in the pandemic, when really we kind of still people were thinking, what is, what is this? What's going to happen? What do we do? Um, but the statement was, if your church doesn't open its doors by this date, then you need to leave your church immediately and find a church where God is at. So I read that statement. I thought that statement is based in 100% ignorance. And here is why. Many churches, like yours, like the one I'm from, we don't have our own building. We're not able to say, hey, I'm going to open the doors when I want to. Many churches I know of meet in schools like this. For example, probably very similar here in the L.A. area. Probably, uh, you know, during the pandemic, a lot of churches that rented facilities from school sites, schools were saying, we're not letting anybody back in, even if it's on a Sunday, for a year or two years. So to say you have to do this, when someone doesn't know maybe what an individual church their setting is or where God has called them to, um, is kind of a, uh, would you agree, kind of a harsh statement to make? 
So I've really been blessed to see your pastor lead you guys through with sensitivity to the Lord. And um, it's been neat to see that and, and see God using him. And, and again, everybody is called to what God has called them to. If somebody comes to me on a Sunday and says, you know what, I don't like the fact that we're meeting like this, I'm gonna go here, I will say, hey, if that is what God is calling you to do, may he bless you. But sadly, I've seen many people in churches over the last almost two years um, leave because they're not getting what they want. Church isn't about getting what we want. You know, I want to be in a building. Um, you know, we, I just want to share this real quickly. We, we met on a beautiful, almost 21-acre high school campus for 38 years. We had a large school from preschool through college on our campus. We, um, I grew up on that campus, loved it as a kid. I learned how to drive on that campus by crashing several golf carts over the years into field goals and fences and who knows what. And, um, and uh, I transitioned with my dad about almost six and a half years ago at the church. And in the midst of our transition, we had lost our property. And, and uh, we had tried to buy it. The city school district we had leased from for 38 years told us, you guys are going to get it. We're going to sell it to you. You've been so good. We're like, hey, this is God. Awesome. We get to own the place we've always been at. And we're a week out from our negotiation period ending and we think hey everything's good they're going to accept our offer we've gone back and forth we've negotiated and uh, and i don't hear anything back two days out so i make a phone call and i find out the superintendent over finances who was was dealing with us he had kind of disappeared i said hey we're two days out from this pretty big deal closing and is he available well no he's going to be in mexico for nine weeks and immediately i thought this is not good and then we found out quickly that while they were saying they were going to sell to us, they were really in the background selling it to somebody else. And uh, so for two years, I wrestled with God. And I wrestled with God thinking, you know, we were going to lose our home. And I was angry with God. My kids were in the school. I loved our schools. And, uh, and I really was wrestling with the Lord. And, and this new school, actually, who bought the campus, who it was sold to, for two years, we were still on the campus as they were waiting to get permits and to remodel the, the campus. For two years, I would drive down every month and I would meet with their board and I would say, you guys made a mistake. Let us stay. Sell it to us. We rightfully belong there. You already have three schools, three campuses. We have one, let us stay. And they would look at me and they'd politely say, that is great, but no. And for two years, we, we wrestled and, and wrestled with the Lord. And, <clears throat> and we were two weeks out, two weeks out of having to move off our campus and we still had nowhere to go. And, um, and I found this small little building. We were looking for a space for offices and just praying, Lord, if it's one room that we can put cubicles in for our staff, we will be happy with one room for cubicles. And we found this, this little building that not only did it have offices, but then it had a small little auditorium and it had classrooms enough to do our midweek studies at and, and discipleship and, and training. And, and then we, we found a hotel that was less than a mile away from that. And we said, hey, listen, we're not big fans of meeting in a hotel. I, I'm not personally because I was always worried that another church might rent the room right next to us and 
two worship services are going at the same time. And, and, um, and I said, hey, we will, we will rent from you guys if we can be guaranteed the whole hotel will be ours on Sunday. Nobody else comes in. And, and uh, they said, well, that's okay, because they didn't say these words, but we knew they were bankrupt, and they needed somebody to come in and got to open the door for us to be there. And, and I will tell you this, growing up on that campus, my whole life, going to school there, I walked into this little funky building. We started renting where our offices are at, and you guys call your, your place for midweek, you call it the barn. Is that right? Is there animals there? Or just when you guys are there, that's when it becomes a... I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's me. So we call our little building, we call it base camp. And we call it base camp because we feel like the Lord has allowed it to be a place where our people can come, get the resources they need to go back out into the community. And I just want to share one story before we get into the text. Grew up on that campus, and uh, the moment I've walked into this funky little building, which is only about 10 minutes from where our big campus was, I walked in and I felt the peace of the Lord, and I immediately felt like I did on our old campus. It was home. And God said, where I am at is where home is at, and I am here. And he took away from me this anger and bitterness toward him because it, is, it has taken me, I will tell you this, I'm just going to be totally transparent with all of you, it's taken me almost now six and a half years to be able to fully trust him again because I felt like he took something that was supposed to be ours. But really what he saw was six years down the road, he saw where we needed to be and what we needed. And this is about a year before we had to leave our campus. We get a phone call. So again, high school there, we get a phone call from somebody, neighbor, don't know who they are, but they leave a voicemail. And, um, and we have a policy at our church, this might sound bad, but I usually tell people, if you get a letter that somebody's complaining and they don't sign it, throw it away. Because that is not someone desiring to grow in the faith together. That's somebody who says, I want to complain and I'm not going to even sign my name and... Here you go. So this guy leaves a voicemail, doesn't leave his name. He's upset about the noise that our kids are making um, on the football field at, during the day. So he leaves us message and he says, if you don't do something about those blankety blank kids, I'm going to and it's going to be on the news tomorrow. I thought, well, that sounds pretty nice. Nice, loving neighbor. So I have no clue who this guy is, right? Don't know who he is, don't know where he lives, and I just got on one of the golf carts that I had crashed probably 20 years earlier, and I pull out of our campus, I'm driving down the sidewalk, and I just threw up a quick prayer, and I said, God, if you want me to find this man, let me see him and, sh and let me know it is him. And I'm driving down, all of a sudden I see this guy working on a boat in his front yard, and God tells me, stop, that's him. So I stop and I walk across the street and I said, hey, sir, uh, did you happen, I'm from Horizon, the church and the school, right across the street, 50 feet from you. Did you happen to call and leave a voicemail? Oh, yeah, 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 you, you know, you guys really need to keep those kids quiet. And I said, well, okay, we're going to do that, but I'm more concerned about your threat. Do I need to call the SWAT team? Do I need to call the police? And, well, I just said that to, you know, make you guys do something. I would never hurt kids. And, and I ended up standing there talking to this guy for an hour hearing his story of being a Vietnam vet, hearing his story of PTSD, and we talked for about an hour. And I drove away, 
And again, this is after growing up on that campus my whole life. I drove away and God said, Philip, that's the first neighbor you've ever talked to. First neighbor you've ever talked to. See, we were, we've been always really good as a church of getting hundreds of people on planes and buses and going across the world to other states to do evangelism and outreach and medical clinics. And we've been really good at sending missionaries out. And, and uh, our vision is to win, disciple, and send. And then God showed me, you haven't even gone across the street so when we got into our new little building and funky location, God said, you are going to meet your neighbors. And for the last five years in this building, we have done all we can to meet our neighbors, to take over our neighborhood, in a sense. And we've started, we started with the police department that's on our block. We then went to the, the barber shop and the deli that's been there for 49 years. We said, we want to help you guys. We then said, okay, the apartment complex is next door. How do we reach them? Then we said, okay, how do we reach all the lower income housing, government housing over here? How do we reach all the military housing? And God has totally changed our hearts to where now we, we tell ourselves, if we can't reach the person next door, then, then what business do I have hopping on a plane saying I'm going to go over here and reach them? And that's for us. And I want to say this. God has used COVID in our church in amazing ways. He has broken us up from routine. He has broken us up from the, the, uh, the this is how we have to do church. And he's got us to a place where our church, I don't know about you guys, you may be in the same place. We're like, hey, if we can just gather wherever, God, we will gather. If it's a dirt field, if it's a... We, we meet in a hotel right now. We've been outdoors for the last um, year and a half, and we meet right next to the runway of a little airport. And, and literally every Sunday, the planes are taxiing. I'll stop while they're flying over. The police helicopter's coming over, taking off, and usually I have to tell people that I have to leave right then because the police helicopter's coming for me. But um, and we stop, and everybody's, everybody brings their own beach chair or camping chair, and God has taken us to a place where we are willing to meet wherever. doesn't matter. Now, over the last two years, a lot, of, a lot of people have left. Well, I want a building. I want this. Okay, that's all right. And sadly, I've seen people who have been in our church for 30 plus years leave for a building that is teaching totally false doctrine and hardly opening up the word of God, but they're in a building. So God is using these things. And this morning, I've talked a lot in the opening, but this morning we're going to quickly look at a passage in Luke chapter 2 of seeing God work in what may be something that we think is a problem. Real quick, how many of you here, how many of you here like Christmas? Anybody besides myself? The rest of you that did not raise your hands, you are horrible, evil people. If you do not like Christmas, something is wrong with you. I love Christmas. Christmas is, I think, the best. I love uh, Christmas lights. I love Christmas decorations. I can remember when my kids were little, every year we do a, a Christmas tea for our women at our church. And I remember 
when my kids were little, every year when my wife would do that for three nights in a row, I remember I was so excited because I'd pack the kids in the car, put them in their car seats. Now we're a 19-year-old, that's a little hard to put them in the car seat, but we, I try to get them in there sometimes. But we would go and we'd drive around, we'd look at all the lights in circles and circles and circles. And as they got older, it got more boring for them. Um, but I would have a little in my head, a little like sheet of who had the best what you know i'd keep track of that and i love the red velvet hot chocolate that comes out in december i love the parties i love christmas eve service i love it all there is one thing that bothers me though i have one pet peeve about christmas and that is when stores start to sell christmas products in the beginning of september that bothers me. I don't know about you guys. I walked into Lowe's. I think this was around the 10th of September, and all the fake trees are up, all the inflatable decor is up for Christmas, and I immediately organized a protest in the parking lot, and we, we protest. It's too early to have Christmas decorations out. I'm a big fan or a proponent of Christmas decorations go up right after Thanksgiving, and then you pull them down right after New Year's Day. However, there was the one year one year, as it was mentioned, I'm a, a chaplain with, with the fire department in our, in our community where we live. There was one year where our lights, they weren't on, but our lights stayed up on our house till, I'm going to say it, March. And I had shared this at church one Sunday, and the fire chief who was going to our church from the department I worked with, he came up to me and said, tomorrow, the ladder engine is coming to your house, and we are taking your lights down. And I said, are you serious? He said, yes, we're going to come. We're going to take your lights down for you. And I said, you can't do that. My neighbors will think I'm a total weirdo. The fire department's there taking my lights down. So I've learned, I just, you know, take them down a little sooner. But I can't stand it. But here, here's the deal. This morning, we're going to look at Christmas a little early. I'm doing what I don't like. And I want to apologize to Josh that I'm going to hit on his Christmas message that he might teach on. But we're going to look at the Christmas story, okay, the birth of Jesus. And, and there's, I think, something so important for us in the birth of Jesus that is, is something that we need for today. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, if you turn there. And again, uh, I spent a lot of time talking about background of kind of where we've been at as a church, which may have been good or bad, I don't know. But we're, gonna, we're, not, gonna, we're not gonna be too long. Um, you know, usually our services last about four and a half hours on a Sunday. So I'm gonna you know, keep it a little shorter. When, you know, when I teach at other churches, I usually... Keep it around six hours to a message, but man, you guys are you guys are a tough crowd, that's for sure. You guys are hard. It's LA. It's the LA crowd. It's the LA crowd. Okay. Luke chapter two. You guys ready? If you're there, let me know you're there. Say there. Okay. Jesus, we ask that you'd speak to us through the power of your word this morning. You, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. May your words speak to us this morning. May they revive us this morning. May they strengthen us this morning. May they convict us this morning. May they fill us with your hope this morning. We pray you bless our time together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. In those days, verse 1, Luke chapter 2. A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Verse 4, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, 
to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who is with child. And while they were there, verse 6, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a, <clears throat> in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Verse 1 tells us that this is what surrounded the birth of Jesus. There was a decree that went out. And this decree was, it was a, a, um, an interesting thing that was happening here. Because at this point in history, these, these registrations would take place randomly. And around AD 6... Uh, is when they started to formalize these and they would be done on a, a regular basis or a set time. And these were done kind of randomly at the time of Jesus, which is interesting to note that there wasn't necessarily a set time that this was to happen. They would just kind of randomly take place. And the purpose was for this, to register everyone, to number everyone, to count everyone so that everyone could be taxed. So how many of you here like paying taxes? Anybody besides not myself? So this is the setting right now. The birth of Jesus is this. A decree goes out so that everybody is numbered, registered, so that more taxes can be implemented and placed upon the people. And this is where Joseph and Mary are going. And this would have happened through local government. And that is why we see Joseph taking Mary to the town, hometown of his lineage, to the town of Bethlehem. And there they go to be registered. Now this would have been a frustration, an irritation, something that probably the people did not like. Think about the setting for Mary and Joseph. Pregnant, not the ideal time to travel, nor probably were there means of travel very conducive for a young couple who was expecting a baby. And all of a sudden they get the word that they... And I want to... I don't want to get political because I don't like politics. But I want to use the word mandate for decree. Because it's the same thing. Being told you have to come here to do this for this purpose. And Mary and Joseph are, are traveling, probably reluctantly going, and probably a lot of the Jews who had to go and be registered are angry and frustrated and, and maybe even fearful of what will this look like going back home? What, what will it consist of? And this is, where, this is where the birth of Jesus takes place in this setting. Now, I hear people tell me that the Bible, you may have heard this before, but I've heard people say the Bible is old. The Bible is not relevant for today. If anybody tells you that the Bible is not relevant today, it is assured that they've probably never fully read through the Bible before. See, this book, it deals with almost every life issue that we will face. Finances, marriage, dating, uh, our faith, creation, uh, every question we have maybe of where did I come from, who am I, what is the point, why God, why here, why this, all of those can be answered through this book. It is the most relevant book in the world. 
We can look at some stories and say, well, you know, during that time, they get, wouldn't have been similar to our time. They, it was old times, Old Testament times. Man, I, I want to tell you that right here, what was surrounding the birth of Jesus, what was going on politically and what was going on economically and what was going on in the world and in this part of the world at this time, very similar feeling to what we are going through today. Fast forward to more into the New Testament, and you have the early church forming, right? And you have the church of Ephesus, Corinth, and, and you could say, well, those churches, you know, what they were talking about and writing about, how they, they can't relate to us today. Things are so dark today, and things are so much harder today, and, and nope, just as dark, just as many problems, just as many issues. So when we read the Bible, we can say, those in that time, I can relate to them. In Hebrews chapter um, 11, it's called the Hall of Faith, people call it in Hebrews chapter 11. It talks about all these Old Testament people that are recognized because of their faith. And then Hebrews chapter 12, it immediately talks about this cloud of witnesses, if you've ever, ever read Hebrews chapter 12, referring back to Hebrews 11 of all these people. So for the longest time, and I don't think this is wrong, but for the longest time, I pictured these, this cloud of witnesses as all of these heroes of the faith, kind of like we're in a, a basketball gym right now. If we were here at a championship game, the hoop was down, and, and they, were, they were in the stands cheering us on, saying, you're going to do it, you can do it, you can win, you got it. And I've always looked at that cloud of witnesses as those who are standing by going, come on, come on, keep going, keep running the race, keep going forward. And I believe that's, that's kind of what it's, talking about too, but also there's another side to it that they were people who already had ran the race. They had already run through all the struggles and they're witnesses for us to look to to say, they did it, I can do it. They made it, I can make it. They didn't stop running, I can keep running. Things were difficult around the birth of Jesus hard. Things are difficult now. Things are hard. There is so much uncertainty. There is so much anger, animosity. There is so much division and divisiveness. I think all of that was around during the birth of Jesus. And here's why I want us to look at this. Think about what happened. Jesus, Emmanuel, God is with us, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. God sending his only begotten son to save the world right in the midst of a big problem. I want you guys to say this with me. And you, if you don't want to, that's okay. We're not going to make you. But I want you to get this concept of our problems can be God's opportunities. Our problems can be God's opportunities. Would you say that with me? Our problems can be God's opportunities. See, this was a problem for many people, but it was the greatest opportunity. See, these men who had put this decree and mandate out here, they're thinking we're going to benefit from the people. They're going to obey us. They're going to come. We're going to tax them more. We're going to have control over the people. And here's God in the background saying, you think... You think you're doing this? No, 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 no. 
I'm allowing this to happen because this is going to fill, fulfill the prophecy of where my son will be born. And this will cause Joseph and Mary to come to Bethlehem to have the Savior born. You think you're doing anything? Nope. I'm in complete control. See, right now, God is in complete control. He's in complete control. He is not asleep. He has not forgotten. See, the uncomfortableness that we are experiencing right now, it is hard. And I don't want to minimize any of it. But I for know for me, and I'm going to say this for myself, 100% of the time when I go back to look at the uncomfortableness that I am feeling and the struggle I'm having right now, it is because I'm finding myself still wanting this world to succeed. I'm still wanting to have my seat where I usually have it at church. Some of you have your seat. Anybody here willing to say they have their seat, their spot they'd like to go to in church? I will. So the first Sunday, you guys are gonna think I'm horrible, okay? See, I can say all the bad stuff about myself here. I can't at my church. But the first Sunday, we were in the hotel after we lost our campus. The very first Sunday, I'm blown away. The ballroom is packed. People are, you know, can't find parking. I'm excited. I'm like, Lord, this is awesome. A fresh new work. You know, you're, you're bringing water and springs in the desert. You're doing something that we never thought could be done. And here's a guy. Been in our church for years. And the place is packed. And guess what? There's one seat left. And it's next to him. And I find out through one of the ushers, they let me know on Monday that, you know, there's no seats left. They're looking and looking and they find this one seat, this new lady, first time at the church, excited to be there. The usher brings her up and he looks and says, you can't sit here. I like an empty seat next to me. Hey, I'm going to admit, I like an empty seat next to me. In fact, if I'm at a movie theater, I'm like, I'm the guy, who, I want the whole row. I don't want anybody sitting next to me. I want, I want to be able to spill my popcorn. I want to be able to chew loudly. I, you know, and in church, I'm the same way. I, I, I will make space. I like, I'll put my Bible there. But I will tell you this. I will see, if I see somebody who needs a chair, I'll be like, okay, I'm going to move my Bible. Oh, gosh. Hey, welcome to Horizon. Have a seat. God bless you. It's so good to be here. That's how we are. That's our nature. So I find out this guy says, no, you can't sit here. The lady turns around and leaves. I called him up Monday morning. I said, hey, I just want to let you know. This past Sunday was your last Sunday at our church. What? See, We've gone through a lot. We've lost a lot. God has taken away a lot. And, and here we are at this new place and we're seeing God. He's taken away. And now we're seeing God give. And, and, and there's one seat left. And you should have willingly and open-heartedly said, please sit here. You've never been to church? Please sit right here. I said, see, I, I, I'm sorry, but I don't think you have the same heart as your church of where we want to be. Well, how long do I have to not come for? Forever. What? I, unless you come to me and you're like, hey. Uh, and, and usually when people fight over their seats, the first thing I'll ask is, do you, can you show me the receipt, please? Do you have the receipt for your chair? Well, I tithe for this seat. It's mine. Oh, I'm sorry. And I'll walk away. 
See, we, we have been stripped of so much. But I think we've been stripped of stuff that God's saying, you don't need that. You don't need it. You don't need a building to be a cool church. You don't need all the big church has. Be who I've called you to be. And there's nothing wrong with the building. There's nothing wrong with the lights and the stage. But there is something wrong when it's not who God has called the church to be. So here in the midst, Luke chapter 2, of turmoil, anguish, frustration, the greatest thing happens. Jesus is born. Real quick, look who shows up at his birth. And many of you know this story. Verse 8, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. Anybody know this? Does anybody know the answer to this question? Some of you might know how many fear not verses there are in the Bible. 365. One for each day. Fear not. I am afraid right now. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm fearful. I'm fearful, but I'm fearful, sadly, over things again that God's saying, hey, your home isn't here, Philip. Let go. I remember when, um, when we transitioned as a church, uh, I, I remember that there was this, this time where I felt like the older people in our congregation, which I love, we have people in our church that have been there for the, that are still with us that were there the very first Sunday over 45 years ago. And they are like the pillars. And Sunders, I think of one guy, he hasn't been there long, but I think of one guy who just is going to turn 81 this month, probably the, the most active servant in our church. And when young men come and they say, well, I want to preach. What do I need to do to get to the pulpit? I'll say, you go and hang out with that guy for six months and serve and watch him. And watch his example, watch what he does. But I remember there was this vibe of, of it was grief, there was this grieving, and there's grieving taking place right now. But this was like 15, 20 years ago. There was this grieving of, of, for America. And I remember there was just this, you know, well, America was so great. And I remember, you know, when God was in the schools and blah, 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 and all these things. And yes, I'm going to say this I love our country. We are blessed to live in the United States of America. Amen? Amen? It's a great country. But I will say this, it has always been a fallen country. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. See, what was done in the dark and behind the scenes, we are now in a time where it's all out in the open. They're not. It's not, not being hidden anymore. And it's not a governor. It's not a president. It's not a school board. It's the same person it's always been. Our enemy the devil, working. And now it's open. The fact that I can't walk into my daughter's school board meeting and say, hey, I'm a little, I just need to express some concern about this. Could I ask some questions? No, you're not allowed to ask questions. Oh, okay. Nope, you're not allowed to disagree. Oh, okay. See, it's out in the open, right in front of us. What was done in the background is now, they don't, no one cares. It's out in the open. And here, who comes? 
shepherds to the birth of Jesus. Anybody here? I like to make people raise their hands at church. So I always, you know, it's a good reason to put deodorant on when you come to church on Sundays. It really is. It's like you, if you're going to be raising your hands. Anybody here happen to work the graveyard shift? Nice. Okay. A few of you. Um, these guys, graveyard shift. Okay. Who comes to the birth of Jesus? Not LA's finest, not celebrities, not politicians. There's not a red carpet. Again, there's no room for Jesus even at the local motel. He's in a barn. I like it. You guys meet in a barn. You guys are good. You're, you're, uh, man, I, gotta, I don't even want to go to the dad jokes. If I go to the dad jokes, you all leave. So. And I told you I wouldn't get political, but I'll tell you one dad joke. Just as a little break, intermission, okay, and then we'll wrap up. You guys ready for a bad dad joke? Okay. My kids hate my dad jokes. So this one is the, you know, the, they didn't appreciate too much. But <laughs> okay, let me see if I got this one. All right, what do you call a nanny who is an anti-vaxxer? Mrs. Doubtfizer. Get it? Okay, I'm sorry. So, so shepherds show up. Okay, shepherds appear at his birth. Why? I think because Jesus, the great shepherd, is being born. Jesus. I want to challenge you. If you ever leave this church and you go to another one, Look for a church that has shepherds shepherding a flock. Don't go to a church that has a celebrity on a stage. The fact that your pastor is saying, hey, I'd like to sit down and have coffee with you. You go to a church that has 10,000, 15,000 people, you probably will never talk to the pastor in 20 years of being at that church. That's just how some of it is. Not, not bad, it might not be the pastor's fault, but the fact that you have a, a guy who's saying, hey, I would like to have coffee with you. <laughs> Two weeks before your pastor came down to dinner men's breakfast, I had another friend come down, and he is in transition at a church ready to take it over, and I love this. He has a schedule on the website, their church website. You can go and schedule a date to go and have dinner at his home with his family. That's the coolest thing. You go on there, you can even put in like your, your food preferences. He built this cool outdoor kitchen. He has people over every Sunday after church to, to meet them, to find out who they are, to start doing life with them. And I heard about this, and I'm a, I'm a prankster, especially with other pastors. I like to prank other pastors, so I'm going to definitely do something for Josh today. But I pranked this friend of mine, and I just booked a couple slots for meals at his house under anonymous fake names with very picky menu requirements. And so when he came to do our breakfast, I confessed to him and said, hey, you know, Harry Pitts, who was supposed to be there last week, that, that was me, I'm sorry. And it, it was difficult to break the news to him, but you have a pastor who says, hey, I wanna have coffee with you. I wanna, I wanna just get to know you, I wanna talk to you. I challenge you to do that. Get to know your pastor. Get to know those that serve here. The shepherds come, right? And here's the message to them. I'm going long. We're going to wrap up here. The angel says this in verse 10. Fear not. 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Good news, great joy for just Israel. Nope. Good news, great joy for all the people. I don't know about you guys. A lot of bad news right now. We all need good news. And I have never met, this is one of my go-tos for evangelism, especially street evangelism. Hey, would you like to hear some good news? I have never met a person that says, no. I only want to hear bad news. Leave me alone. That's my Batman voice. But he, you know, we, we usually go, you know, people are craving good news. We have the best of all good news and great joy that Jesus has come, not just for L.A., not just for San Diego, not just for Israel. He's come for the whole world, every single person, red and yellow, black and white, straight, homosexual, politician, police officer, every single person Jesus came for. Here's the amazing thing. We say to people, come as you are to church, right? Come as you are. Come in your pain. Come in your sorrow. Come in your grief. Come in your sin. I had a young girl show up at our youth group the other night. That's another thing COVID did for our church. You know, our worship leader and youth pastor, hey, uh, love the guy. I'm not, not picking on him, but hey, I just want to let you know my wife and I are looking at moving to South Carolina. Oh, I'm okay. Awesome. What, you're thinking six months, right? year well we kind of put an offer in and it closes in a week so oh okay so I guess I'll be the youth pastor for a while and I'm definitely not going to be the worship leader because I don't want to lose every single person in our church but see God I look at that and go oh my gosh Lord I have to be with the junior hires their attention span is like this and they are you know 47 monster energy drinks and I can't even keep up on the video games with them. And God says, hey, you've been really praying that the youth would serve more and be more involved. Well, here's an opportunity for you to get to know your youth, Philip. So I've been youth pastor for the last six months or so, and I'm there Tuesday night, high school group. This girl walks in. Tuesday night, you know, we're, we're in our game room with the kids, and this girl walks in. She's in this lovely dress. She walks up to me and says, so... What is church? Huh? Well, this is my first time ever going to a church, and my mom told me that I should probably wear a dress. Really? This is your first time ever being in church? Well, why don't you sit down? I'm sitting there. She's sitting there. This other youth leader is sitting there. She says, and by the way, I want, you, like, I want to let you know that I have autism. I said, Really? I said, there's, there's three other kids here tonight that have autism. Really? Yeah. And, and, I, and I, I told her this. She kind of was taken back. I said, I love autism. I do. I love that you guys, you're able, some of you are able to see things that I can never see, and you share your heart and you speak your mind, which we all need to do more often. And you're transparent. 
She had a 30-minute conversation with me in the midst of the conversation. First, I'm, I'm autistic. Second, my mom thinks I'm a medium. Third, my brother is a Satanist. Fourth, our house, I'm pretty sure, is haunted. I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at Glenn, our youth leader, and he's just kind of looking at me. <laughs> All right. Let's see what you do, Pastor Philip. Let's see what you say. I'm listening to her. Oh, I think I might be a Satanist. Okay, you might be a Satanist. Okay. We're in 1 John that night, and it's all about that God cannot dwell in darkness because God is light. Light and darkness. As we're talking about light and darkness, I see her just intently listening to the part about darkness. Here's the reality, though. You can get out of the darkness, and you can get into the light. She asked questions all night long. In fact, she was amazing. One of the other girls who, who um, is usually very distracting during the study time, she came with her. She actually invited her to church, and she looks at her and says, you better stop it and let him keep teaching or I'm going to call your mother. I said, man, can you come every week? You're amazing. Could you come and be a leader? You know, we'll, we'll, just don't put on the youth leader application, Satanist or medium. We'll leave that off. Nobody needs to see that. But see, that's what we want right now, walking through the doors of our churches. What is church? And by the way, I've never seen a Bible or looked at a Bible before. Is there any way that I could look at a Bible? Man. So shepherds come. Good news, great joy. Here's what we're going to do. Ready? We're going to finish right now. Watch what these guys do. They are our example for today, okay? Look at their response. Jump over to verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. These guys are like, good news, great joy. Heaven is opened. Let's go. I love that they went and went with haste. Excitement, probably a little trepidation, anticipation, but they went with haste. They were like, you know what? We got to get to Bethlehem. We got to see this Jesus. Are you making haste this morning to get to God? What are you making haste to get to? We need to make haste to get to Jesus. And then look what these guys do. They see Jesus. They spend time with Jesus. And then in verse 17, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. They immediately evangelized the birth of Jesus. Who? Pastors? Evangelists? No, shepherds immediately go out and start preaching good news. Do not fall into the trap this morning that you have to be a pastor, that you have to be Greg Glory, that you have to be Franklin Graham, Billy Graham, Luis Palau, Andrew Palau, that you have to be an evangelist 
to share the good news, that you have to have a doctorate, a master's degree in theology, a master's of divinity. Those are all great things, but guess what? These guys were shepherds on the graveyard shift, and they're the first ones to preach the good news of the birth of Jesus. They made known. Then, this is what we're closing with, as they're returning, look at verse 20. As the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This world we're in right now, just like this census, this decree that took place, no mistake. God has not made a mistake in allowing us to be here this day and this time. He has not made a mistake in placing you where you live next to the people that you live. They need good news. They need to hear Jesus. And here these guys go preaching, but then as they're on their way home, they are rejoicing and glorifying God for all they had heard and seen. I want to finish with this thought, and then I'll let you guys go. And this thought should only be about an hour long. But they are rejoicing. Why are they rejoicing? Why are they glorifying God? For all they had heard and seen. So maybe you've had this thought before like I've had. You know, I, I read through the Gospels and I, and I look and go, man, how amazing would it be to have been a disciple with Jesus? To see him face to face, to witness him heal a leopard, to see him moved with compassion for hundreds and thousands of people, to see him love the sinner, just to, to see him face to face, to be with him. And then sometimes we think, you know, I even think, you know, what, gosh, it, you know, I can't really fully, I've never seen him. And they're rejoicing because they saw Jesus. They're also rejoicing because of what they've heard. But here's the reality. We are these shepherds, and here is why. We, as well, have heard and we've seen. No, we weren't at the birth of Jesus. No, no one in this room has seen Jesus when he walked on this earth. But we all have heard and we all have seen what happens when Jesus enters someone's life. Anybody here? Has your life been changed because of Jesus? I want your hands to stay up just for a few minutes. If you say, yes, my life has been changed because of Jesus. Anybody here, keep your hands up, and, and, and I'm going to have you put them down if this doesn't fall into your criteria. But anybody here, just by chance, because of Jesus, have you been set free from drugs? If you're willing to put it up. Anybody here been set free from alcoholism? Anybody, has their marriage been fixed and redeemed because of Jesus? Hands are up. Hands are up for, some hands have been up for all of these things. See, Jesus comes in and we get to see Jesus' work. We've heard, we've seen. Let's get out there and preach some good news. Times are hard, yes, and I don't want to minimize our struggles. We all are going through it. We all are seeing difficulty, but in reality... God saw all of it coming, he's in control, and it's exactly as his word has said it would be. That shouldn't be scary, that should be exciting.
that what we study and follow is completely true. And guess what? I don't know if you guys know this, but this Jesus who was born, this Jesus who lived, lived a sinless life but encountered everything we've encountered, experienced everything we've experienced, who went to the cross and died for our sins, became our payment, and then ascended to the right hand of God, that Jesus is coming back. Don't get stuck looking at what we used to have, the way things used to be. It's always been fallen, and Jesus is coming back. And then we get to come back with him, and he's going to make it all right and perfect the way it should be. That is good news. Jesus has died for our sins. He's rose again. And I want to challenge you. Don't become like the 95% of Christians who have never shared the good news of Jesus Christ. 5%, they say, of Christians. Only 5% share what Jesus has done in their life. You have a testimony. You have a story you've heard and seen. Again, church, let's get out there and let's preach the good news. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you for these people this morning that are here. Thank you, Lord, that you have drawn each and every one of us to this place, to this building, Lord. And, and you've done the same all around the world today. And today we are so grateful. We are so grateful that in the midst of a lot of bad news, in the midst of a lot of confusion, in the midst of a lot of turmoil, in the midst of a lot of fear and anxiety, your good news prevails. You've already won. You are victorious. He who is in us is greater. You are greater than all these things. And God, we ask that we wouldn't miss in the midst of all these things that you're working just as God you were in this little town of Bethlehem preparing for the Savior to be born and Lord may we be like these shepherds may we make haste to be with you may we Lord go out and make it known what we have heard and we've seen and may we have hearts and attitudes of gratefulness and may we be found a people that are rejoicing and praising you because again, we have the good news. And we have the great shepherd. We love you. We praise you, Jesus. Encourage us this morning. Fill us again with your hope this morning. May we not leave here feeling defeated. May we leave here being reminded today that you've won. And what an amazing thought. You want to use each and every one of us to point lost people to their Savior. Use us, Jesus. Bless this church. Bless Pastor Josh and his wife, Lord, as they're away getting rest and bless their marriage as they're celebrating their anniversary. And uh, Lord, use this church in this community and around the world in mighty ways. It's in Jesus' name we pray.